Welcome to High Performance Mindset with Dr. Sindra Kampoff. Do you want to reach your full potential, live a life of passion, go after your dreams? Each week, we bring you strategies and interviews to help you ignite your mindset. Let's bring on Sindra. Welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Sindra Kampoff, and I'm grateful that you're here, ready to listen to an interview with Gloria Balagay. The goal of these interviews is to learn from the world's best, the world's best leaders, athletes, coaches, and consultants. All of the interviews are related to a topic, and the topic is mindset, and what it means to perform at the highest level in our sport, or in our field, in our business. We perform every single day. So the goal of these interviews is to help us reach our potential or be high performers in our field by learning from some of the best. And today I'm going to start off with a tweet. This was um, posted by Cassie this week, and she said this. She said, this is one of my favorite podcasts ever. I still can't believe this stuff is free. Check it out, hashtag pure gold. So I just want to give a shout out to Cassie for tweeting that message. And I also want to share with you a goal that I have. So I have a big audacious goal of doubling the downloads in this podcast in 100 days. And I think it can be done. I decided to write down this goal and start tracking it because every time that I get done with an interview, I pinch myself and I'm kind of like Cassie, blown away that some of the best are sharing their secrets and doing it here. So these interviews are gems. They provide us with so many practical tools and strategies for us to improve our performance. So I'm wondering if you could help me to help me reach the goal of doubling the downloads in 100 days. And so um, I'm wondering if you could do one of three things this week. First, could you tweet about the podcast or post it on social media? Perhaps share an episode that you found useful or maybe your favorite if you listen to it frequently. And then next week, I will read your tweet, just like I read Cassie's. So you could post it on social media. Another thing that you could do, a second thing you could do is head over to iTunes and provide us a comment or a rating. And believe it or not, those actually help us get higher on the iTunes rankings, which uh, just pops up in more people's feed. And then so that allows us to reach more and more people each week. Um, Or number three, tell a friend about the podcast. So I'm wondering if you could, again, help me in this journey of doubling the downloads. Again, one of three things this week, post it on social media, head over to iTunes or tell a friend. That would be incredible. So again, another incredible interview this week. Um, I interviewed Gloria Balagay. She's a sports psychologist who currently works with elite athletes and teams, including, listen to this, the Chicago Bears, USA Gymnastics, and USA Track and Field. She also has taught at the University of Illinois, Chicago, starting in 1988 and just retired a few years ago. So Gloria has attended several Olympic and world championships, helping athletes implement the mental game. And in this interview, she talks about how the world's best have two distinguishing factors. She also describes the unique environment of the NFL and how um, this unique environment creates some difficulties with uh, implementing the mental game. And she ta- talks about um, being a female working in the NFL. And we share a little bit of our experiences um, in that since I do some work with the Minnesota Vikings. She also describes her biggest failure, how all outcomes should be approached as feedback, um, the importance of how athletes need to be more than just athletes. So again, super incredible podcast. You can also find a description and summary on my website, syndracampoff.com slash Gloria. 
And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a tweet. Um, you can tag me at mentally underscore strong with one thing that um, you found helpful from this podcast. And I will make sure I read it at the beginning of the next interview. So without further ado, let's bring on Gloria. So I'm excited that you're joining us here today on the High Performance Mindset. I have Dr. Gloria Balagay on the podcast, and I'm excited to talk to you, Gloria, about your work. I know you are over in Illinois, have worked with USA Track and Field, and I know you do some work with the Chicago Bears. So just, just kind of start us off the podcast and tell us a little bit about your passion and how you got to where you are now. You know, I, I, I was born in Barcelona, Spain. And so my, my path is probably a little bit different than that of many people because when I started, even psychology was starting in Spain. So uh, sports psychology was definitely not very much in anybody's radar. But my family was very sports-oriented. Um, my dad introduced sports medicine in Spain. And so um, I, you know, right away had an opportunity to work at the Olympic Training Center. I mean, I did a little bit of everything. I, lead, I helped with uh, um, oxygen consumption tests and uh, run the library. And eventually, when I learned a little bit more, did some of the, the sports psychology work. Uh, in Spain, you don't need a doctorate to work in sports psychology. Um, and when I came to the States uh, over 30 years ago, I got my my doctorate here, um, but my undergraduate my degree in Spain was in psychology, and so my my PhD was in clinical. Um, actually, I have a dual clinical and social psychology. My choice I couldn't see clinical without social. So, but I always loved sport, and during my 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 training, I did a lot of work in the the area of health psychology, which I thought in clinical was the one that matched the best the things that I end up doing in sport. Uh, and I loved it. I, I thought it was, it was very good. I worked at Cook County Hospital, which is a really unique place, um, the only public hospital in, in Illinois, basically. It was a really interesting place. And I liked it, but I didn't have the passion that I have for sport. And, and I realized that any time that I would go back to uh, working with athletes, doing something with track and field or USA gymnastics, my level of energy was so much higher. That, uh, and I think it's you know it, it is nice to work and help people um, go from whatever level they're functioning back to normal. But working with people who are going from really from good to working great, uh, it's so different. And and uh, I love that. I love the idea also of figuring out things that. Maybe nobody's not. I mean, having an athlete say, I know I can get a world record. I don't know for sure how. Well, I don't know for sure how either. I realize I am better at, at it for that reason, I think. And I, I like what you're saying. I think an important message for the listeners is that you followed what you're passionate about and what gave you energy. And you could tell that you felt different when you were with high-level athletes. And that gave you more energy and excitement and passion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think that even if at moments you think like, well, you know, this is a, a sure path. Yeah, it's sure, but you're sure to be doing something that is just okay. 
And I, I don't want to compromise myself like always. You know, I, I want to do something I really, really love. Yeah, I think that's similar to myself where I've always, not always, but especially recently, really followed what gives me excitement and, you know, what, what I'm jacked about afterwards. And then I'm going to do more of that. <laughs> the other part of this is sometimes is that it's also a word that sometimes frustrates me more than anything. Because I sometimes I think all that we could do and I can't. So, so I think sometimes it goes in both ends of the spectrum, but it's worth it for me. For sure. So tell us a little bit about how you became involved in USA Track and Field. When I was at the Olympic Training Center in Spain, um, I worked very, very much with track and field because the, the national coach uh, was someone who was very psychologically minded. And he was particularly excellent at hurdles. Um, and I watched practices with him. Um, he would ask my help in things that, again, I didn't know how to do, but we figured it out together, like uh, switching the lead leg from right to left for a hurdler, uh, a hurdler who ended up competing at the world level. And, and so I, you know, I, had, I did what I could, but then when I came to the States and I was uh, finishing my doctorate, there was one sports psychology conference in Washington, D.C., and I, I went, and there was a, a group, you know, they give a case and a discussion for each group. And the case that was assigned to my group was a hurdler. And I talk, in general, I talk a lot. But uh, in that case, I also knew so much about hurdlers that, um, you know, I probably talked more in that group than I would have otherwise. And... Uh, and the, the story is about the fact that the head of sports medicine for USC track and field was in that table. I didn't know him. And at the end of the session, he made a beeline for me and said, who are you? Why do you know so much about hurdles and, and track? And, you know, and so we started talking and he has, you know, invited me to work with USA track and field. And I'm like, oh my gosh, really? Do I need to think about that? <laughs> of course I'd love to do it. So it was really in some ways, being at the right place at the right time. But everything that I had done until then, even if I would have thought it had no connection, ended up being relevant. Right, exactly. And I like the like the idea that you never know who's listening and and to over over value, you know, bring bring value and over deliver whenever you're speaking, so you never know who's in the audience. Yeah. How many years ago was that that you started working with USA Track and Field? I was introduced in at the uh, right at the meeting for trials for '88. '88, awesome. So then I, you've been involved in how many Olympics then? Yeah, because I went '92. Uh, I was the, I went to the to the Olympics with the team, but of course the Olympics were in my hometown. Oh, Barcelona. Except, of course, I went to Barcelona with uh, with the U.S. team, and so the new, the Spanish newspapers labeled me a traitor. But other than that, <laughs> a lot of fun. So, uh, actually, in '96, I went to Atlanta with uh, with uh, USA Rhythmic Gymnastics. I mean, I've con- I've always worked with uh, track, so um, but we try. I mean, the experience of going to the Olympics is so unique that. And it's a volunteer job for, for USA Track and Field. So we tried to get other people to go. So I stay, I mean, I went all the way to the training camp, same thing in 2000. Yeah. So, I mean, just working with some of the nation's best, the world's best athletes, Gloria, what do you see separates them from the rest? What do they do mentally? 
I think two things. One is what I would say an unshakable belief in themselves. Mm. And, and, and by that, I don't mean that they think I'm the best. They think I can get there. Because I, the other thing that the really tough ones have is a really clear picture of, you can call the ugly reality sometimes. That is, where am I right now? What is actually happening? Um, and then the, the strong, strong belief that they can get whatever they are right now, they eventually can get whatever they want to. And they have both of those, I think. And do you see that that's something that is just innate within them? Or do you think it's the, the confidence and their unshakable belief in, that they can get there is something that's developed over time, you know, in terms of maybe their experience in sport? Obviously, the, there's maybe some, you know, some predisposition to, to be more optimistic or more confident. Uh, but I think people who have had to overcome more difficulty yes. actually have uh, uh, an, an easier time of it. Those, those athletes who have always been the most gifted, the best, uh, I think those uh, do great as long as they remain always number one, have an obstacle. They, I don't think they have a chance to develop what, what we would call grit. Yeah, can you give us an example? Because I, I agree with you in terms of what I'm thinking about, especially the pro athletes that I worked with who really struggled. Maybe they grew up in a, a, a single parent home or they had a, a tragedy when they were growing up. They're so much, they're sort of really mentally strong and kind of can handle anything in the moment because they've had to handle anything in the moment as they've, if they've grown up. So tell us a little bit more about that. Like, can you give us an example? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I, I mean, I can think of several of those where people have had to really from, and it can be many different things from um, uh, coaches and, and other people not believing in them and having to prove themselves at every level and making it to the next level and then you know people around saying oh well yeah you're never going to make it to the next one and making it um it in some cases it's been um athletes who have actually grown late in adolescence and so they were the you know smaller and didn't look like the most athletic and all of a sudden uh you know they felt they could they grew and all of a sudden everybody else supported it but they had developed this i will make it um to others who have had a really major life, it doesn't even have to be the score sometimes, major life uh, difficulties um, where they have had to really uh, prove themselves and work hard to overcome that. And, and I think that gives, uh, that gives an amazing basis for handling life. I'll tell you that for me, performance skills are life skills. And so... That, that transfer goes both ways. Yeah, performance skills are life skills. So those, when you have those life skills, it's a little bit easier, to, it's a lot easier to do it in the performance. What do you see, Gloria, in terms of, you know, even the best, right? They struggle sometimes. So what do the best struggle with mentally? What do you see? Do you see any trends? Perhaps the thing I see the most, so much so that sometimes I question myself, is it just me that I see it in everybody? Or is it really that much out there? Is, is the, the fear of making mistakes, the perfectionism. Yeah. I think that that is very common. And, uh, and at the same time, that, that angle 
makes them really good and work really hard. But if they cannot turn it off uh, at the time of competition, it's, uh, it ends up damaging their self-confidence. Uh, because even if they have you know, 95% good, they look at the 5% they're missing. And if that's all they do, it ends up being a problem. So this is one of the most common. The other one that I've seen more lately, maybe that, that is in these past years with professional sports, knowing who to surround themselves with. And I've seen uh, a number of people struggling um, trying to really surround uh, themselves with people who um, are going to help them get where they want to be rather than people who constantly want something from them and pull them down. And what do you see in terms of how do they come to making the decisions on who they should surround themselves with? I think it's actually, it's not an easy process as I've uh, realized. Um, in part, I mean, many things get complicated. Sometimes uh, uh, some the sense of uh, growing up uh, precisely in, a, with, in very difficult conditions and being the one who has made it out. And that sometimes carries a sense of I owe them something, which the others exploit tremendously. And, and they use those things. I mean, I've had athletes, even in track and field, tell me, you know, an African-American man saying, all of a sudden, now I am supposed to be the, the representative of the black man. Uh, because I've done this major uh, athletic accomplishment, um, but it's a huge weight. And so, so uh, allowing the discussion to see really, um, it's not just that they want something from you, but are those people really friends? Are those people really uh, people who uh, really want, are going to make you better the same way that you're trying to make them better. It's not a financial thing. And once we can separate this um, and, and see, listen, you know, um, are, if these people are going to interfere with your goal just out of selfishness, what does that say? But it's not an easy discussion and it takes time. Yeah, it takes time. Well, let's jump back to the one issue you talked about where you see, you know, even high-level athletes fear of making mistakes. And you said, got to learn to turn that off during competition. Tell us a little bit more, you know, what, what advice or, or strategies or strategy that you might help uh, athletes with in terms of how do you turn that off during competition? Yeah, I think actually that we need to start that in practice, obviously. Um, and one of the things that I do is earlier, I mean, when we're still away from competitions, talk about, okay, let's redefine success. And right now, Success is doing something that you're bad at. Because the tendency is often to choose to do the things that they're already good at. Everybody likes to do mm. um, And at times, redefining success, going for the things that you know you're not good at, that you know you're not going to look all that good, and, and actually keeping track of that. How many have you done? How much have you volunteered to demonstrate something the first time you hear about it? Um, taking risks in situations in practice, like, okay, I'm going to go for this, and, and, and getting to that discomfort, because it's, it's uncomfortable. Um, and so we start with this, talking about success. Then success is going for it once you're learning maybe a new technique or a new way of doing it. Success is not doing it well. Success is doing it, trying the new way. Then we'll get to doing it well. So, you know, kind of breaking it down. And then once we get, and I have them keep track of those things. Because once we get to the, to the competition, then it's like, okay, 
I talk about switching the radio station in your head. The closer we get to the competition, the more the station has to tune into the strengths. And the strengths are not what you do perfect, but what have you improved? And, and what is it that you have? And if you don't have, you know, this is something that I think uh, Ken Raviza always says. Um, if you only have 80% today, you gotta use 100% of that 80%. And so it's a little bit of that. You may be missing something, but if you keep focusing on what you're missing today, you're not going to use all that you have. So again, let's look at what are you going to use today and look at what is it that you know you have. So, so I, I hate trying to do that right before a competition because you cannot dislodge that. And, and the underlying fear is always, and I, I, I always um, start saying, okay, um, in, on a scale from zero to 100, and I, do a, I draw a, 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 a visual scale, with 100 being totally aiming for perfection all the time, and zero being a wet noodle, I don't care. Um, where are you? And the ones who are 90, 95, 97, um, I have to ask them, okay, what would be reasonable for you? Because otherwise they think I expect them to be at 50%, and they are not. So you're not average. You're not going to be average. But is it reasonable to stay at 98% because then you feel you fail all the time? Right, right. So what is reasonable for you? And even if they say 80, 85, I don't think I'd let them go higher than 85. But okay, let's go for that. So that they understand that I'm not talking going to the other extreme because many athletes don't say that, but they fear if I turn off that intense drive for perfection, I'm going to lose my strength. I'm going to lose my ability to be really good. And I, I want to clarify with them, no, uh, what I'm talking about is being your best coach to yourself. So what would you call that, Gloria, like a perfectionism scale? So, you know, if they're at 100% or they beat themselves up after a mistake versus, you know, and you're trying to get them to be more 85 to show a little bit more compassion, is, mm-hmm. is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, you know, I I would not use that word because they misinterpret it. Yeah, perfection. Uh, no, compassion. Oh, compassion. Oh, of course. <laughs> they, they they think like I'm saying it's okay, and I say, listen, having uh, very high goals, that's fine. That is, you know, that is good because most of them, those are goals that at some point will be achievable. What is not okay is to really beat themselves up. Um, if they don't do it, that is the piece that needs to change because uh, that is not helpful and it's not accurate. So, and, and if I ask them, you know, if you, if you want uh, one, one of your teammates to really be the best he or she can and you see them, they have this goal and they make this mistake or they have this outcome, what would you tell them? And usually the responses, remember, you want them to really be as good as possible. What would you say? And of course, what they say is appropriate. Now, what do you tell yourself? Right. So that's why it's not accurate and it's not effective. So that's why you wouldn't tell it the other person, but you tell it to yourself. Because I understand that I cannot convince them to change. 
Yeah. Yeah. And my sense is, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking about perhaps your work in the NFL. And I know most recently you've done some work with the Chicago Bears. And at least my experience in pro football is that the athletes have very high standards for themselves. And, and if they don't perform well, that has really high consequences for their career, right? I guess to shift gears a little bit, Gloria, tell us about how you got involved with the Bears and then we can connect this discussion to that. They, uh, uh, the new general manager wanted a sports sciences department and uh, brought someone uh, with him who does nutrition and uh, I think exercise physiology and is and a, a woman as well and asked her to put together a sports, uh, sports sciences department and she came from the, from the Olympic movement so she contacted the USOC I mean, it's, you know, in Chicago, there, you know, weren't that many of us. Um, but I know they interviewed three people, so I, I was asked to interview. And, um, and it, was, it, was, uh, uh, it was a lot of fun, actually, because I was interviewed. My interviews initially were with uh, several players. Oh, that's great. So you got to interview with the players before you yeah, even started. Those were my, actually, those were the first interviews I had. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So... Tell us a little bit about how the discussion we've been having so far about perfectionism and, and not beating yourself up. How do you see that connecting to pro football or do you see any examples in that? Uh, I see many. I, I was surprised at how many I see. And, and it's true. The environment reinforces that in, in, you know, they constantly have to be looking over their shoulders, frankly. I think it's the only sport football where they keep bringing new people in throughout the whole season yeah you never have okay this is the team and and it's pretty amazing but they once they understand that uh it's not that it doesn't matter what the others think or how it looks but that the only thing they can call is what are you going to do now otherwise it's like it's like having major leaks in energy source if you're looking at, out at what are the others thinking? What does that look like? Who else is there? And so actually reducing, making, okay, what's manageable here? What can we do? And, and, and also the idea of um, all, all outcomes are feedback. And so if something didn't go well, it's actually extremely helpful information that's going to allow you to get better next time. Look at it this way. And we got to be able to answer, what did I learn from you? But... But it's complicated because you do totally swim against the current, much more so than, than the Olympic uh, movement. Right, because they can be replaced at any moment in time or they can bring new players in. So it is high pressure. I like what you just said, Gloria, like all outcomes are feedback. So it's really like, what can you learn from that outcome instead of beating yourself up mm-hmm. that the out- outcome didn't go exactly the way that you wanted to. So tell, tell us a little bit, and I'm thinking that listeners might be interested in, in hearing your perspective on this as well. Tell us a little bit about your experiences working in the NFL as a female. And I think we can both relate to this because of my work with the Minnesota Vikings. But I'm curious on what your experience has been like so far. Start us off with that. <laughs> you know, um, for me, it, it, I mean, obviously, uh, the, most, the, 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 the thing that is most different is are the organizational aspects of the NFL, frankly, and, and the clubs. Um, the players themselves, maybe because I've had so much experience with track and field, I look at them and I say, oh, the throwers, the sprinters, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I, and the same thing with you know, the racial uh, um, 
mixture and everything. Uh, so in one sense, I am comfortable there and I think that helps. And, and the other thing is that uh, as well, as it, as it happened in, in, in track and field, I found that many of the players um, have an easier time talking to me. I think the competitive nature would come through. It would be harder to tell me a weakness. They would try to present a, I got it all together kind of picture, which is what the environment reinforces. But with me, they can say, I hate this, and I don't know what else does, and it's making me nervous, and I worry constantly. And, you know, they can tell me that. So uh, I actually think it is, but I am also, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable. And I think also at this point in my life, my age, I think it also helps, frankly. So um, altogether, I think it, it works. It works well. Yeah, that's great. I do see it in his advantage on my end too, just because I agree that I don't have any ego, right? And so it is a lot easier for, for players to be open and honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really what you're getting at. So, Glory, when I think about your work and um, helping these athletes in USA Track and Field or USA Gymnastics or in the NFL just be at their best more often, is there a topic that you always cover with your clients? Like, is there a topic that, say, you might work with somebody individually or you're working with a group or a team? What, what's kind of like your go-to or, or the foundation of your work is another maybe way to think about it? To me, probably the most important psychological skill is self-awareness. And, and, the, and the one thing that I always try to go, and I do that with the group as well, is emphasizing that all of the strength is already inside and that they got to look at that. If it's either inside the team, let's look at each other. What do we have here? And not look so much outside. Um, and also the individuals, you know, okay, where does your strength come from? And sometimes, you know, um, it comes not just from the, the workouts you've done and the, the, the speed and the strength, but also the, the, the huge family support that you have, the fact that you're very smart, at times you may overthink things, but that's a huge strength as well. So I try to make sure they pull together and own all of the, the richness that they have. And then we can tolerate a lot of other things and manage difficulties. But as long as they look outside, what do I need? What is this going to take away from me or give me? They lose a little bit of a sense of, of their own agency. And so that is something that individually or as a group, I think I always have as a, as a core point. Self-awareness, the most important psychological skill. Uh, really good. Is there a, an example of a signature technique that you use? Kind of what I'm thinking there is, you know, something that you always might teach them or it could be related to self-awareness or just something more general or a different topic. In, in terms of self-awareness, I, I often, um, you know, I, I did one of those videos that uh, with um, Judy, you know, the, the, the sports psychology videos. Uh, and and I, I mentioned because sometimes people come and say, oh, I, I saw you doing this in the video. Because <laughs> it is something that I actually do. Usually the first times I talk to a, a, an athlete uh, player, I ask them, I just draw a pie, a circle, and I ask to okay, divide it into as many pieces as roles and, and things that are important to you. And, and I see how big the sport piece is and what are the other, uh, are, are those other pieces, pieces that are a drain or are those pieces that are a support and a strength? And it gives me an idea, but it gives them an idea as well. And, and sometimes the, they come back and say, I think I need to change that. 
And I think that's a great time in really thinking about it. So that's one thing uh, in terms of the awareness. The other thing that I've realized uh, I do quite a bit, uh, just because somebody said, that's weird. <laughs> and I thought, really, I always do this. Um, it's more about the, the mindfulness, the being present. With many of the athletes, uh, I ask them, you know, when we talk about the breath, I have them breathe all the way into their feet. Feel the ground and feel stable and well balanced and planted because a lot of the times they overemphasize their, their arms and hands anyway. And so making sure that they focus on being balanced and, and feeling the strength and the connection uh, with the ground, that's actually a, a more solid way of starting any movement. And so uh, I, I realize I do that a lot. Uh, and, and, and also that helps because sometimes if they're a little anxious, they're leaning forward. So if you focus on feeling balanced, it makes you stay in the right position more. So. Nice. So do you actually have them feel the breath go to their feet or tell us a bit more about how you might do yeah. that? I, I, I have them do a couple of deep breaths and then after that, and, and I always say, take a deep breath, hold it. Now let it out very slowly and start, you know, letting the shoulders down. And after a couple of those, I say, okay, now this next time, I want you to breathe all the way into your feet. And for that, just pay attention. Just feel, you know, the ground, feel. And, and I do a couple of those. And at the first, they always like, okay, what? But they get it. And, and, and often they say, you know, that I can do that on the field. That's excellent. Well, tell us a little bit about the wheel moving back up to you kind of shared two signature techniques. And I've actually seen that video, Gloria. I think it's by Virtual Athletics. Yes. And I think I don't even know the title. Is it called Three Approaches to Sports Psychology? No, I don't think so. I think uh, that mine, it was like as if it were a whole, uh, a whole season, beginning, middle and end. Yes. Nice. Okay. So uh, let's just walk the exercise through with the audience so that if they wanted to replicate this, they could. And so what I remember from the exercise is you had the person write out, so you actually draw a pie, right? And then you have them write out their, their roles in different components of that pie. So let's say my role, you know, 30% I'm a mother, 20% I'm a marathoner, um, you know, 50% I'm a consultant, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then you keep on going with that. And then, so the big, the big questions you're going to ask somebody after that are, are the percentages the way that you'd like them to be? Well, exactly. I mean, I, I often have them do it twice. And, and one say, okay, what is the percentage of time that it takes? And that's one. And the other one is, what's the importance that the role have? And sometimes what's more important and what I value the most has a really small percentage. And so it's like, okay, this is a huge imbalance. You can do this for a while, but you can, this is not sustainable. So, so I, I use it this way. It depends on the age. I mean, if it's somebody really young, I'll just do one. An older athlete, I'll probably do two. And, and, and I'll keep checking, has that changed? Is this different? At certain points in the season, or, or if somebody's like a month before the Olympics, uh, okay, it is not going to be balanced. It can't. But... Uh, after the Olympics, are, are we changing this? Are we making it a little bit? Because, you know, it, it's a give and take, you know? So, you yeah, know. absolutely. Absolutely. Can you give us an example of a client that you worked with who maybe perhaps had an aha moment just by doing this and maybe the changes they made after going through this exercise with you? 
you know, uh, I had, uh, and it's something that, some, you know, sometimes people try to make uh, decisions based on what somebody else did. Um, so there was this one uh, athlete who came and said, you know, um, I've been pretty busy and now I'm preparing for the Olympics. So um, um, I think that what I'm going to do is um, I'm just going to dedicate myself to, uh, to, and I'm not going to take classes. I'm going to take a year off of school. And I thought, ooh, what a bad idea, but to myself. <laughs> but uh, I had, uh, so with it, you know, what are the things that are important? And that was someone who being an athlete was important, but it was like maybe 30%. Somebody with needed a lot more intellectual activity. And after we went through this, um, and, and, you know, I just put it out there and I said, and what you're trying to do now is you just did one and it had athlete and um, family as a as, as small slice and a couple of things. And I said, and you look at says, oh, that one kind of makes me sad. I said, you know, listen to that. That's not a life that goes for you. I don't, I don't mean to say take 12 credits, but can you do something, even if it's online or go to a, a community college, take something because you know, your mind needs something else. But that was already what he had described. So, and, and it was, and it made to him a lot of sense. Um, so, you know, sometimes some of these decisions, it's like all I'm going to do is sports because the Olympics are closed or because that may not be what's going to make you the most productive. Absolutely. And, and it has to do with respect your own complexity. Who are you? If, if we only take care of the athlete, it's like just a facade. There is nothing behind. And eventually it crumbles. And so the whole person, you cannot take care of everything equally at the same time. But eventually, you've got to take care of everything. So the, the, the spouse or the mother or the, or the, you know, the one who... I had a, an athlete who was, uh, had a world record. And we had done this. And one huge piece in his life was music. Uh, after the world record, um, looking towards the Olympic gold, which was the next uh, reasonable goal, um, we met and, and I said, okay, what's happening to the music? Well, I don't have time. Oh, you don't have time. Hmm. What else you don't have time for? Because what's happening? And it was all of these changes in life, all of these uh, agent and manager and activities and things. That, um, and, and his performance was not very good. So he had to get back to, to being, you know, in the music world. Um, to really feel like, oh, I remember who I am. You know, what I'm hearing you talk about, Gloria, is the importance of being balanced, understanding who you are. But I think that goes back to when I asked you about what's one topic related to mental training you cover with all, all your clients and it's self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think your signature technique directly connects with that. So Gloria, let's move on and talk a little bit about you for a little while and tell us a little bit about why you do what you do. You know, we know understanding your why and understanding the reasons you do what you do can help you just stay excited and passionate for your work. So why, why do you keep on doing this work in, in the field and with high level performers like you do? You know, um, I was actually ready to retire. I, I, I've been teaching at the university for many years, uh, and I love teaching, by the way. I, it was not a, a side job. It's something that I really liked. Um, I retired from the university two years ago, and, uh, and I was thinking about going to Spain and doing some consulting there, but I know I, it wasn't very clear. 
And, uh, and I, I thought that, you know, I would miss the sport, the performance part, but I thought, well, I'll, I'll do some in Spain for sure. Cause I kept my connections there. And then, uh, and then the opportunity with the bears came up and I, I thought, Ooh, that's, uh, that's something I haven't done. I haven't really worked at a professional level. Challenge. I saw it as an, uh, an opportunity to learn, learn more about myself, to grow. Um, and I was, um, I felt again, the, the excitement. I thought, Oh yes. Um, and so again, I, I postponed and I told my family in Spain, no, I'm not coming back yet. <laughs> I'm staying here. Longer. Um, in, in a sense, it's like, it's because I really love it. Um, at the same time, I'm very clear that the moment that I think like, you know, this is not what I thought it was going to be in the sense that I don't think I can do what I could or it's not worth it. Um, I don't think I would have much problem letting go of it. Uh, but I think I will continue um, again, because it's, I think you're looking for excellence in whatever um, whatever area you are. It's something that is, is pretty unique. Excellent, excellent. Well, I can tell that you love it just because I, I'm seeing your face. Yeah. <laughs> and I see you smile. So um, one of the questions I always ask all of our podcast guests is to tell us about a time that they failed. And the reason I ask you that is because, you know, people might be listening and, and be thinking, man, Gloria, so much experience, 30 years in the field, you know, with all these Olympic athletes, these pro athletes, but but I'm sure there's been a time that hasn't gone perfectly for you. And so I'd like to share that. So, you know, we can, we can see that, that failure is a part of learning and growing. Tell us about a moment and, and how we can take that and learn something from your experience. Uh, I, I actually have so many to choose from. <laughs> that, um, but um, in general, um, because I mean, I, I had to write a chapter uh, once about this. So it's something that I've thought about. Um, in general, it's when I don't listen and I think about what is it that they need. And I kind of try to provide that answer. Uh, and that never goes very far. Um, and so I, you know, was asked by a coach uh, to work with the team. And I went in and I observed practice and I observed how the coach uh, coach. And then I came back with a number of ideas of what they could do. But I neglected to stop and say, what do you want? Um, and, uh, and so it was like, oh, oh, yeah, gee, I gave all these ideas. Well, thank you very much. That was the last I heard from them. But even, uh, even you, know, in, you know, in terms of understanding, uh, you know, the fact that what somebody could do is not necessarily... Uh, what they should do at the moment. That is meeting, meeting them where they are, not dragging them where I think they could go. I think that in general, all of the times that I fail is when I impose, in a sense, my own idea of where they should go and what they should do, just because I think they could, because I think it'd be, they would be great or whatever, but they are not there yet. They're, that's not... Uh, I've neglected to either listen enough or, uh, um, um, or, or understand exactly what else is there. Sometimes people have competing goals and they give you one, but they don't give you the other, but it's right there. And, and when techniques don't work, rather than changing the technique, I try to figure out 
okay, what's happening here? Why isn't this working? What, what information have I neglected to get here? Because again, you know, listening to what is not said is, is also something that I've learned. That yeah. Yeah. So what I hear is just the importance of being where you are as a consultant, listening and, and not necessarily posing your ideas or your thoughts or their, your, your, their, your goals are where they should be, but being there with them. Sometimes in, in terms of sports psychology, we think, oh, it would be so great if they could, they would, they just did this or they changed that. But that's my goal, not theirs. And, and I have to use their language and I have to use their goals. And when, when I've been too psychological, it hasn't worked. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, tell us about an example of an aha moment that you've had in your career. Is there a time where you can think back where you really learned something important about your work or your clients? Mm, again, of, of those, I have a lot. But sometimes I think, in, in, theoretically, I've always understood that you have to be who you are and that you have to be genuine. But I remember once traveling with the, with the U.S. track and field team. We were in Japan. <laughs> and we were at a training camp. Everything. The TV was in Japanese. Um, there was a 24-hour buffet, which was not the best idea for, you know, before world championships. Um, and somehow we got a film and a, a, a DVD. So... Everybody, the whole team got together uh, watching that movie and it was some spy film of some sort. And we're watching this and in, there's in, uh, one scene where, you know, the, the good guy of the movie is hiding in some bushes and all of a sudden you see a pair of shoes that he's been discovered. And one of the athletes who had never talked to me, sitting next to me, turns around and says, hey, sports psych, what is he thinking? And I just said, he's thinking, holy cow. I didn't say cow. Um, and, uh, and he started laughing and he said, hey, you're okay. And the next day he came talk to me. And I thought, at the moment that I, I just answered, what I just blurted what I was thinking. And I thought, I should think those things through a little bit more. But the reality is that if I had tried to give a psychological explanation, it would have been the worst possible thing, you know? And, and sometimes I've learned that, you know, I'm, I'm just watching practice and somebody will say, uh, so uh, what were you thinking about what I did? And I'll say, sorry, you caught me at a break because I wasn't watching you. And, and rather than try to BS. And, uh, and, and, and I've learned that sometimes they may not like that at the moment, but they know they can trust me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what I hear you, you saying, you know, to that athlete in that moment is like, just you're being real and you weren't getting too theoretical. You're meeting them where, where they really are. So Gloria, I have a few quick questions before you, before we wrap up. So is there a book or a resource that you'd recommend uh, to the audience and, and why might you recommend that one? It, it depends uh, who the audience is like for coaches. I mean, right now there is a book that I've recommended quite a bit because of the perfectionism issue, which is mindset, which a lot of people are reading and have read. Um, even though I think, only the first chapters are really, <laughs> the rest is all repetitive, but whatever. Um, the book, the, the concepts are really good. And I think mindset yeah, is, is, uh, is, is very helpful, both for coaches and for athletes. And that's um, Mindset by Carol Dweck? Yes. Yes. Mindset. Okay. Yes. Um, so I like that one. Sometimes um, for coaches, uh, uh, there is a, a, a book that 
that is very short and, and I like and, and I've recommended it. That's called Well Done, but well spelled W-H-A-L-E, like the whales in the zoo. Well Done. And it's, it's co-written by a guy who trains the killer whales in the San Diego Zoo. And, uh, and, and it's really about catch, catch them doing something well. Catch them doing something good. And it's very simple, uh, very brief, but really clear. And since coaches often seem to think that their job is to tell athletes what they do wrong, this book provides in a very clear way a total contrast. You know, how about you tell them what they do right? And, and, and I, I find it very simple, very clear. I, I like it. Excellent. Excellent. And Gloria, is there a quote or a phrase that you see yourself saying often or, you know, something that you, you use often in your work? Um, I guess one of the things that I, I do say uh, often is uh, you're much more than an athlete. Yeah. And how do you see yourself using that? People, sometimes uh, the athletes get tunnel vision about the, about the future, about what they're doing, about what they're doing well. And so some of them are really great dads, are great husbands. And all of a sudden they're feeling like I have a bad game. So I, um, it's horrible. It's like, okay, you, let's see, you're much more than an athlete. Let's, let's open that Zoom and look at what's going well. Uh, and then we'll also look at what is not. Excellent. Excellent, Gloria. Well, what advice do you have for those high performers who are listening? So people that are listening who are working to reach their, their best more often, they might be athletes, coaches, entrepreneurs, leaders. What would be the final message you could give people? Uh, I think it would be that same thing of why don't you start looking back and realizing what are, what are the things that you actually are good at and you enjoy? And, and start increasing those, following those, uh, trying to do them more, um, increase the space they have in your life, uh, follow them a little bit more. I mean, very often people think, okay, I'm going to make a list of things I need to change, I need to improve. Um, and so they end up making a list of faults. And, and okay, so fine, you're going to do that. At least do the other one as well and make a list of, okay, what are your strengths? What are you good at? What are things that sometimes you catch yourself thinking, wow, that was really, I learned that really fast or I did that really well. Uh, keep track of those things because that is really what's going to allow you to improve the other. Nice. And I know listeners are going to want to reach out to you, Gloria. Are you on social media or what's the best way that people can uh, reach out to you? Probably email. I'm, I'm pretty good on email. All right. So. Excellent. So in my email is gbalagay at gmail.com. Okay, gbalagay at gmail.com. Well, Gloria, I want to thank you so much for your time and your energy and all the opportunities that you've helped create in the field and all those athletes and high performers that you've worked with. There's many things that stand out to me from your interview. I will tell you a few. I thought our discussion about the fear of making mistakes and, and working to turn that off during competition was important and uh, helping athletes find successes instead of just failures or, or times that they, they haven't played very well. I, I appreciate what you talked about uh, with breathing with, through your feet. I thought that was <laughs> unique and different, and I know that people can take that kind of a tangible skill. And then the last thing that you talked about was really like who you are and understanding who you are. And I like the example that you provided in terms of the, the pie 
And I think that's a tangible strategy that people could use that they could really take from your interview. So I just wanted to thank you so much for your time and your attention and your passion for the field of performance psychology. Thank you very much. I hope to see you at ASP, see if we can have a presentation. It'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, you know it. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to High Performance Mindset. If you like today's podcast, make a comment, share it with a friend, and join the conversation on Twitter at Mentally Underscore Strong. For more inspiration and to receive Syndra's free weekly videos, check out DrSyndra.com.